and welcome to the Law Business Podcast. We're very lucky today to be joined by Martin Whitehorn, who is a property lawyer. Hello, Martin. Hello, Townsend. Thank you very much for joining us today. You have a wealth of experience in property law, but I believe you're also a ULaw graduate, is that correct? That's certainly correct. So I initially did an English undergraduate degree, but went to the Guildford University of Law campus to do my graduate diploma in law and subsequently my LPC LLM. Wow. So how many years of education is that? How many years of full-time education? Um, If we include my English undergraduates, then five full-time years of education. Wow. Okay. So that shows a lot of commitment, determination, and also an interest across different fields. So what from your English degree do you think you took into your, your law study, your study of law? Uh, certainly a close attention to detail, to language, the meanings it can convey, and also particularly with my essays, then I was accustomed to doing essays a particular way in my English degree, which made it easier to do them, I feel, to some extent in my law degree, since I was accustomed to setting out an essay that. This, this is what uh, I'm going to talk about. This is what I'm going to argue. This is what I'm going to prove. Uh, uh, here's all the evidence I have of it in favour of it. This is my uh, conclusion. I've done what I've set out uh, to do. And that, that natural flow of uh, uh, this is what I'm going to prove. Here's the uh, evidence. This is the conclusion is very much something transferable to my work. Yes, I think everyone has a vision of lawyers being um, very versatile in the way that they speak and use language. And we all have very grandiose ideas of, you know, barristers in courtrooms, but also solicitors have to have such immense attention to detail, don't they? Certainly very much so. And that most often I find when reviewing contracts of sale, for example, it can be interesting that the level, the variation of the level of attention to detail. So with some sisters, they can be very tempting for them not to bother and for someone like me to do the job properly. And so, for example, I remember years ago during my training contract once a seller's solicitor sending a contract of sale and as well as uh, uh, points in the sort of uh, uh, conditions of the contract that I felt could have been worded better they they got if I remember correctly uh, our address wrong they got their address wrong they also got their client's name wrong and which I was not expecting in my training contract, I'd be telling uh, other sisters, this is how your client's name is spelled. But uh, so just one part of all attention to detail, it's always good to check. Don't just assume that's necessarily the other person on the other side has uh, uh, checked all the details themselves. That's amazing, isn't it? Because you would think that studying law would um, put not making assumptions about anything at the heart of your thinking and your work. So, yes, I wonder if that's a case of working under pressure. What do you think? 
that since that if they if they were working under pressure, then it was must have been quite intense because I think, for example, <laughs> in their address, they got the postcode sort of towards the top of the address rather than the bottom. So I'm not sure what was going on there. That it could have just been they had someone work experience try out drafting a contract and then sent the the initial draft rather than the subsequent draft. But anyway, I was at checks and did my job, made sure that everything was as I expected to be. It wasn't, but I suggested amendments. Points out where I thought amendments should be made and was corrected. Wow. There's no harm done in the end. <laughs> it's a very good story, though. So, getting into the nitty gritty of what you do, I'm just wondering if COVID has had any effect on the way that you work and the types of work that you're doing at the moment. Certainly, uh, so for. So with regard to the way that I work, that I'm in the office now, but and have been since the 1st of September, but in months before that, from about the 24th of March, I was working entirely at home. My firm changed from in-person working to remote working in the space of 24 hours. And so meeting clients and talking to my colleagues online, doing a lot more by email, being increasingly paperless. That quite an abrupt change. That will also add that I think you also asked how did it change the type of work. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, that, well, at first it was quite scary because in the first lockdown, that estate agents couldn't show people around homes. And so, working in property, primarily residential, a lot of people were simply not buying new homes because they couldn't see them, didn't, couldn't get a feel for what they were paying for. That, that, and so at first, New, ins- new instructions dramatically reduced, and but then when it could start showing p- people around homes again, there was this sudden flood of new work. I think not only because of the backlog of people who'd wanted to move home but couldn't because they simply hadn't seen the properties, but also uh, I, I like to pay attention to the Financial Times and one of its columnists. Marion Somerset Webb, editor of Money Week, who mm-hmm. I've got a lot of time for. Yep. She pointed out a trend months before any estate agent, I think, or other property professional, about how people were being sitting in their homes, often in cities like London, in a pokey flat where there wasn't much space, particularly when it comes to working from home, because in order to work from home, among other things, it's so much more helpful to have your own separate space to work and your own separate space to eat, sleep, and so on. And they couldn't really have people over because they didn't have a garden. And so they were looking to places like Surrey and thinking, well, I can sell my flask, get a, a nice home here in Surrey with a garden, raise a family. And that it was very much the sort of work that I saw when 
uh, people could start uh, being shown around homes again. Uh, people were calling up saying uh, I, I, that I live in a flat and want to move somewhere nice for the garden. That's, can you help me? That makes total sense. And I'm very much in that situation myself. So, yes, there's been interesting peaks and troughs of work, it seems, throughout the pandemic. Oh, I was just going to add that in one of Prime Minister's recent announcements about how hairdressers, retailers, gyms could reopen. I think this was in early March. Then the very next day, who's calling up the phone, but the proprietors of such premises saying, oh, we want to take on new leases of these premises. Can you do all this by... Uh, the 12th of April and by that time we uh, I don't think it had been yet announced but we hadn't had the budget so many residential uh, and commercial property people were still having to deal with uh, residential stamp duty land tax and the deadline of the 31st of March which is now being extended to the 30th of June which has given us some slight relief. Yes, people have had to work in a very agile way, haven't they? And perhaps industries and people who are more used to working in a lean way, uh, in a more predictable way, perhaps. In your work, are you mainly dealing with property owners or tenants and buyers or estate agents? Uh, so my firm prides itself on being independent, so we don't pay property developers or estate agents to refer work to us. Because with us, that's if you are buying a house and you're the client, we should be considering anyone else. Physically, since I think there have been various scandals, like the leasehold scandal, the hidden homes scandal, where people buy properties like flats or new built homes, thinking, oh, everything's going to be all right, I know what I'm paying for. But it turned out they weren't properly advised on what they were getting themselves into. And in several cases, the uh, what's this that they use? The one endorsed by the property d- developer or by the estate agent who very much has an interest in people moving into the property rather than being necessarily being advised on exactly what they're getting into. And but we were actually sort of firm them to make sure people know what they're buying and are fully advised. If a property isn't suitable for your requirements, that's okay. That's, and so many clients have been glad when I point out to them, well, for example, you're moving into this flat, you've noticed that the landlord is, uh, the company has been dissolved. The, uh, the covenants in the lease, uh, which the landlord is meant to keep, are unenforceable. Uh, uh, and this could be rectified by the uh, freeholder that as an interim landlord uh, between the, the my client, the prospective buyer, and the ultimate freeholder. And so whilst the freeholder c- could try to rectify this by issuing new leases, this is likely to take time, cost money, and who are they going to seek to pay the costs of this legal work, which they should have prepared for when the interim landlord was dissolved, is going to be the tenants, the people who own the properties. That's so interesting. It's interesting tracing the life of a property, if you like, and the hands that it passes through and how 
responsible the people who take ultimate responsibility for the property actually are. Um, So that's very interesting. So, Martin, there's much coverage in the media that has been for many years about young adults being vulnerable in the property market. Are there challenges for young people trying to buy homes, rent homes? Have you had any experience of that? Uh, yes, only when it uh, comes to people buying homes, because when you're young and starting out, there's so much you don't know about uh, getting onto the property ladder and so much you can benefit, not just from people like me, the solicitor, advising you on uh, legal interests in the property, but also others, for example, particularly with first-time buyers, I would very much recommend they find a mortgage broker who can not only help them try to find a suitable mortgage and in some cases explain to the lender how even if you as a first-time buyer don't quite fit within their policy where exceptions should be made but also basic things that we often aren't talk about like credit scores about how it's useful to have this credit history just by for example having a credit card and paying it regularly so that's the, when the mortgage lender reviews your credit history that they can show you've got a, a strong record of paying your debts on time and is likely to be all the more willing to, to take you on as a borrower as lower interest rates than for someone who might not have a credit history and which I didn't know is apparently a scary unknown as opposed to someone who just has been good in keeping out of debts. And so there's someone like a mortgage broker can help with, not forgetting also a surveyor, someone who's actually qualified to look through the property and check for any issues that might affects your enjoyment of the property or its value if it comes to structure is there a chance that some part of it might fall down which has been found by some surveyors is there a damp in the property because that can be very expensive to rectify and then the natural sisters like me who like to explain the process to our clients tell them what's involved and uh, advise them whether it's buying their own house, whether it's moving into a flat, that is what you've got to be aware of. Here are some particular points that might affect your enjoyment of the property. Here are some things that might have affects your mortgage lender's willingness to lend, but here's what we can do to rectify that. And so, so hold your hand during the process. And as I said before, look after your best interest. We're not beholden to anyone else. It sounds like the most rewarding part of the job may well be advising people who aren't particularly aware of their rights and the implications of their choices. Would that be fair to say? It certainly can be very rewarding. Often I don't uh, quite get to see the look of realisation on a client's face, particularly when drafting a great long report and sending it to, to, to them to read through. 
very happy to discuss with them. I think one of the most rewarding parts of my work is I, I'm quite good at maths, and maybe this is just an easy satisfaction for me, but where I feel I sort of clearly added some form of numerical value, but that be, for example, looking at the stamp duty land tax and property and saying, oh, hang on, that's due to the circumstance of this particular purchase, then we're going to apply for some of relief, which means the bill was actually lower than had been initially anticipated, or just uh, uh, or even just things like checking the length of the lease, checking for any covenants uh, that, uh, that i.e., legal promises on the legal title that aren't quite what I would expect, and therefore might affect the subsequent sale of the property. And so working to rectify those issues so that uh, to reduce the chances of, of any subsequent sale falling through because they had been noticed before. You seem to be bringing lots of different parts of your abilities to the job, which is great. I can see that you've also had experience working with the National Offender Management Service. What was that like? That certainly. So the National Offender Management Service uh, that uh, in, in that which I worked for during my LPC uh, uh, in hindsight maybe made more sense for me to do a part time LPC than a full time one. But this was a part time zero hours contract job. I was able to easily fit around my studies. But essentially, it meant that I worked at a probation hostel. Uh, it's, so much like a prison in that you need staff there 24-7 and that we're helping to look after high-risk offenders, high risk of re-offending, I should emphasize. And uh, so shifts were about uh, 12 hours uh, a day and uh, and there were also night shifts as well, but which I uh, never did, although I did do quite a few of the higher-paid weekend and holiday shifts, for example, on Christmas Day, because my family doesn't celebrate Christmas Day on Christmas Day, we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, and so Christmas working on Christmas Day was not an issue for me, unlike some of my colleagues, but, and I think I gained quite a few transferable skills in that role, for example, like I emphasised to my mentees, I was the first to answer the phone, the first to uh, deal with residents at the door, the first to answer the door, and uh, doing all the admin tasks in office, which any person starting out in their legal career might be expected to do. But also, so, even though it wasn't particularly legal experience, confidentiality was a must. You would get phone calls every now and then from people claiming, to be, for example, from the Department of Work and Pensions, Actually, uh, often just criminal gangs trying to track down the uh, location of a particular resident, and so being mindful of people trying to find out the identity of who's at, at our hostel. Also, that, uh, in terms of confidentiality, not only do we have to keep confidential from the residents what they each other had done, but also their surnames from each other, because if one of them finds out the other surname, they can look them up and see, oh, so-and-so did this, and if so-and-so happened to be a sex offender, that could lead to uh, harmful repercussions to them. 
So if I try to think of an equivalent, a, a law firm, imagine all your clients live at your place of work and you've got to keep not only their matters confidential from each other, but their identities, as Bryson asked. Uh, also, attendance notes that we give attendance notes of our interactions with residents, keeping uh, track of their potential risk of reoffending, which is very relevant to my work in property, since among other things, as well as drafting attendance notes, we've got to keep, constantly keep an eye out. So, Martin, it sounds as if you've learnt a lot from the residents of the probation hostel that you worked in. To a degree, that yes, I, I certainly did. It's one thing I learned in particular, or at least inferred, was the mantra "Don't ask, don't get." That's because so often it's for high-risk offenders returning to society, they're trying to return to normal life, whether it be for housing accommodation jobs via normal routes, like finding a job on a website and showing your CV, they often found they simply weren't getting through. And so, but then how did they manage to make success by going out into the world, meeting people in their day-to-day interactions, whether at the shops or elsewhere, networking, Require opportunities and where they were taking advantage of them, and which I felt was very helpful for me when trying to get into the legal world, because at, at Judy West's solicitors, that, that, that actually first came across them on now personal job side for an office assistants. and so I looked at the role and thought this doesn't quite match what. I'm looking for, but I'll but if they've got an opening for us, and they might well have an opening for something more relevant to me. So I better make sure and check. Otherwise, I might miss it. And so I got in touch and asked, "Hi, I noticed that you're advertising for an office assistant. Do you have anything more relevant to someone like me, an LM LPC graduate looking for a training contract?" And the response more was, no, hello, Martin, that, yes, as well as the office assistants, we're due to advertise for a legal assistant role. Would you care to interview for that one? And I said, yes, I interviewed for the role. At the interview, I was told, you have the job, when can you start? And what do you say to what you've been waiting to hear all along about how you finally got your foot in the door in the legal profession and then I'll think about it I'll let you know but later that day I had thought about it I didn't let them know I, I, my first day was the 4th of December 2017 in my employment contracts it says that if you're with us for this many months to start your training contracts I was still with them for that many months I became a trainee solicitor started off in residential property then did private clients seconded to RHW solicitors in the Fifty family and then back to Judy West solicitors to commercial property. It was during my commercial property seats that we started focusing on getting me more and more of my own clients and I hit the ground running upon qualification. However, I qualified in July 2020 during the pandemic, which has own complications, but we're almost a year on. I'm at a firm 
that's incredibly supportive, doing a, a job I found very rewarding. And I was doubt that I would be in this situation were not for seeing how the residents at the probation hospital uh, networked and took uh, and not only looked for opportunities, but often in some cases amazed them just by asking the right questions. That's a fantastic story and proof that we can learn from everyone around us from all walks of life. And it sounds as if you've overcome some obstacles in order to achieve your position that you're in right now. What other obstacles have you had to contend with? Uh, that, well, uh, one obstacle I can think of during my search for legal job, firstly, the, in terms of the requirements that I saw for legal jobs along the lines of entry-level job, full training provided, we don't see full qualifications, uh, but you just have six or five months experience in a law firm, not just any right. other walk of life in a law firm. Although I since understand that's what a lot of people do now is they'll apply anyway, but then highlight their uh, uh, transferable skills from other experience. Another obstacle I've had to overcome, not just trying to enter law, but also during my work, is that I'm autistic, and so sometimes my brain takes a little while to process what's that being said, or being written, particularly open questions, since my advice in open question, either I think that I've got so much to say about it, so how could uh, surely I should be stopping at some point, or uh, with an open question, I might think uh, that's uh, how do I begin? I really don't know where to answer that, which uh, often made it difficult if. A client suddenly called out of the blue, or uh, if I received an email with sort of wise, open ranging questions, and I would be just staring at it, staring, how on earth do I respond to this? But one thing is with my firm that I've d- developed is sort of little statements to sort of send a client on the side of a matter to sort of highlight what works for me in terms of communication. And asking what works for them, so you know, I know how they prefer to be communicated with. Because so the paragraph goes, I've got in front of me now. Also, for future reference, how would you prefer to communicate? I ask as I'm autistic, and when I receive emails, depending on the questions raised, my perfectionist nature prompts me to send longer replies than are necessary for my clients. So sometimes returning an email with a telephone call to provide an answer, the short follow-up email to confirm what was discussed is easier and quicker for me and my clients. Also, when I receive a call without warning, this can be off-present for me, and depending on the conversation, increase the time it takes for me to process in my mind what's being discussed. And develop this uh, finally t- towards the start of this year, and the response from my clients uh, once has been overwhelmingly positive. That's uh, great. Uh, I, th- I th- think it certainly helps to uh, highlight what works for me, so others are encouraged to open about themselves. I'm particularly reminded of one high net worth 
client who it transpired who was dyslexic, but just hadn't wanted to uh, open up about it. And so that was quite warning and also helps him decide that I'm a human uh, being, that we're all all different. And I'm glad being, I think, increasingly part of the world that recognizes those differences. One also, also, so I think it was a question what about the challenges I've overcome. One particular challenge that occurs to me f- from the pandemic has been a remote supervision because yeah, as a trainee and newly qualified solicitor, it can be so helpful for me to speak to one of my senior colleagues about a matter just so I can see am I on the right path. I'm not being silly here. I haven't missed anything. But then with... Uh, but both when I was working from home and also now in the office, when so many of my colleagues are working from home, it can feel so difficult to pick up the phone and ask them questions when I don't know what they're doing, as opposed to in the office when I can turn around and see what when it seems like a good time and then ask. And and then just sending emails if it was just seems like so much longer than just turning around to someone. And so one thing that has particularly helped me that uh, and one of my supervisors had the idea was setting up uh, regular uh, scheduled calls so we could uh, uh, discuss in convenient time my matters that she was supervising and what works and so then I was worried about am I disturbing her but we'd already arranged the time and in fact remote supervision for anyone interested in working law, that uh, Charlotte Parkinson, former chair of the Junior Lawyers Division, has written a Junior Litigators Checklist, which I do recommend oh. anyone look up. Just type in Charlotte Parkinson, Junior Lawyers Division, Junior Litigators Checklist. Great. Which gives a lot of helpful advice on working from home, including also things like scheduled calls. I appreciate that she does it more from a litigator's perspective. There's a lot of transferable advice to any other area, including non-contentious property like me, and including, I think, as well, scheduled calls, which I very much recommend anyone look up. That's great. Some great references there and also encouragement to sort of lay some ground rules regarding communication or just suggest the best kind of streamlined way to understand each other. So that's great. How would you advise a student who is considering a law conversion, who's thinking of changing their discipline from their undergrad to law? Um, well, that's, I think, for anyone considering a law conversion, when I did my English degree and was waiting to get the degree and finding that I was only getting sort of odd jobs in the meantime, like washing dishes in primary schools. It, 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 it did help bring to my mind about how useful it is to have not simply just an academic qualification, but professional qualifications as well. My best friend, Sarah Wilson, was the one who first brought to my attention about a career in law, and so we both studied at Guildford University of Law together. Claire GTL was there, Claire Pelton is there, 
And as I looked into doing the law, it struck me that it seems a, a lot more a secure profession, a valued profession than what I'm doing now. Our jobs on minimum wage. And so I'm glad that I took the next step in pursuing my It's great that you had such support in doing your GDL and you had a a colleague to do it with. Do you think the relationships you made during your postgrads and your professional qualifications will be there in many years to come? Are you a peer group of lawyers who will support each other through the the decades? What do you think? Well, I'm certainly still on a Facebook Messenger group with some of my LPC mates, including my best friend Sarah. And yes, professional connection is very important because actually Westminster's I was the only trainee, uh, apart from my junior lawyer, that uh, lots of my peer group at my firm, which is why when I first heard about Surrey Junior Lawyers Mission or Young Surrey Lawyers, as it was then, uh, I was very keen to join. And so I think I mentioned the main Junior Lawyers Mission, which is the division of the Law Society. To, uh, devoted to uh, promoting the um, the interest and supporting junior lawyers, and when they say junior lawyers, they don't just mean sort of newly uh, uh, qualified solicitors uh, under six years post qualification experience, but also uh, LPC students, LPC graduates, apprentices, and this, as a local group, we are Surrey Junior Lawyers Division, uh, we're free also include whoever we like as members. So, welcome all manner of law students, paralegals, they're just at the squeak candidates, just because you haven't uh, legal executives, conveyances, uh, uh, but just because you haven't just done the LPC yet, and because the LPC seems to be replaced by a squeak doesn't mean that you aren't very much in our eyes. A junior or trainee lawyer who would benefit from the community of people who know what you're going through and can give you insight as to what's worked for them, opportunities at their firms or other organisations. So I do recommend any listeners look up Surrey Junior Lawyers Division and join. You'd be very welcome. We welcome both aspiring and junior lawyers in and around Surrey. East South London, I live in Epsom, sort of the Irish community border, or Hampshire. Quite a few people ask as well. Oh, uh, no, I, I live in this part of Hampshire. Am I welcome in this? If you're physically, if you're on this side of Basingstoke, that you very much within travelling distance of Guildford, but also so many of our events are, are virtual. So I've been running since May 2020 uh, a cocoa with the committee. So it's a virtual get together oh, yeah. on the Zoom for us to discuss relevant topics. So this uh, uh, relates to the topic is women in law. So there'll be a couple of my fellow committee members this evening who will be uh, d- discussing that as well primarily because are joining in as well. I think we've got 29 people due to attend a mixture of junior and aspiring boys and it's uh, such a pleasure particularly when we can't meet in person to be able to provide that sort of network to people 
And are you part of ULAW's alumni uh, network? Yes, I certainly am part of ULAW's alumni network and taking advantage of its uh, events. In fact, I think I've signed up for an event that looks quite interesting due to start at five today about uh, elevator pitches getting noticed, which as someone, uh, a junior lawyer, keen to not only just do legal work, but also win work, that sounds very useful to me, as well worth for any students as well attending such talks. So you can show not only that you're good at the law, but that you are commercially aware and interested in contributing to the business. It's fascinating that we've talked so much about employability and selling oneself and developing oneself. And it's natural, really, because of all of the skills you need to be a good lawyer. What final advice would you give someone who's considering a career in law, regardless of what stage they're at? That I think for anyone considering a career in law, it it makes such a difference to speak to people who've gone through it themselves. And so in Surrey or elsewhere, I would very much suggest look up your local junior lawyers division group or equivalent. That's, I think the main junior lawyers division has a list of all the local groups that are out there. Or even if not your local group, Surrey Junior Lawyers Vision, we do virtual events. There are plenty of other junior lawyers groups doing holding events for free as well to give aspiring lawyers the opportunity to connect with current lawyers. Since at the end of the day, we know the pain and the struggle of trying to enter the legal profession. We've been there before. We want to help. And don't be afraid. You very much have a community at your local junior lawyer division. I think that's a very strong note to end on. Martin, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me, Tamara.